Well, it's not recorded in Scripture at all. You can look all you want to, and you're not going to find it. You're not going to find these words. But I know that even though they're not recorded in Scripture, I know that they were actually said. And, and, and here's what I mean. I know that when uh, Israel, the Israelites, especially the army of Israel, were marching around the city of Jericho, that great walled city that we read about in Scripture. I know that as they were walking around that great city, that there were some people saying some things. Again, it's not recorded in Scripture, but I know that they were talking. And the thing that was being said, that as, as those people walked around Jericho, day after day after day, for seven days, and there's seven priests trumpeting sounds to the Lord. I, I know that they were looking down from those great walls, those people of Jericho, and they were saying, what fools. These people are the biggest bunch of fools I've ever seen in my life. Why in the world would they think that they could just walk around our city and somehow they were just going to be victorious? Somehow they were going to be able to win out over our great walled city. And even as all the people on that seventh day, after they'd gone around seven days, and after that seventh day, after as, as all the people were shouting and that final trumpet blast was there, even in that moment, I, I have to believe that, that the people of Jericho were looking down and they were saying, what, really? What idiot came up with this strategy? Who was it that was such, so foolish that they thought this was the way to have victory over, over Jericho? Like I said, even though there's no biblical record that those statements were ever made, I'm still convinced they were. And I'm convinced they were because of, I'm going to say because of this observation. When people trust in God's, people's trust in God runs counter to the wisdom of the day they will be viewed as fools of faith. Does that make sense to you? When people's trust in God run counter to the wisdom of the day, they're always going to be viewed as fools. Uh, uh, listen, as Joshua, in his day, the wisdom of the day, the, the wise architects and the engineers and even the common people we're able to look and say, you're not going to overcome this great city by walking around and around and around in circles. To believe that that's going to happen is foolishness. Even in the days of the shepherd, David, the wisdom of the day, the, the wise military elite of that day would have said, if you think that you're going to defeat that gigantic well-armed Goliath by throwing rocks at him. <laughs> you're, you're a fool. And the wisdom of the day in, in, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did it have, that guy's name? 
The wisdom of their day would say, if you go into that flaming, fiery furnace, you are not going to come out alive. And if you think you will, that is foolishness. You see, the wisdom of the day keeps saying, hey, 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 that thought and that thought and that thought, as you put your faith in God, that's just absolute foolishness. But that wasn't the end of the story. You see, the end of the story, according to perceived foolishness, was that those great walls crashed. That that mighty giant fell. And that those three young men not only came out of that fire, that, that, that furnace alive, but they came out completely unsinged because of their faith in God. When I look at what happened in all of those stories, this, this reality springs to my mind. And it's the reality of the foolishness of placing one's faith in God above the wisdom of the day for all of those people proved to be wiser. Their perceived foolishness by what they were doing in their walk of faith Ultimately, over the wisdom, over the great minds, over the great intellect of the day, proved to be much, much wiser. And as I, I think about that, I, I think there's always been that battle going on, hasn't there? This battle between trusting in the foolishness of God versus the wisdom of the day hasn't just been an ancient battle. It's not just something that happened way back then. But it's a battle that's still going on today, don't you think? It's a battle that's still going on right within our crosswalk lives even today. This battle between the perceived foolishness of God Above, the beyond, above and beyond the accepted wisdom of the day, still rages on in our world and in our lives as Christians. Well, it's in this final lesson of our Crosswalk series. This series in which we've been talking about not being self-walk people, people who are motivated by our own intellect and desires and will, but being crosswalk people who are denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. In this, in this final lesson of this series, our, our, our focus is this. It's about giving up wisdom for foolishness. Giving up wisdom for foolishness. And I know, I know that doesn't ring right in our ears, does it? That just sounds backwards. It, 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 doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense. But the message this morning is that that's exactly what we're being called to do 
as Christ walked disciples of Jesus. We're being called to give up wisdom for foolishness. To be a crosswalk disciple means that we believe, now write this down because this is, this is the contrast you need to remember, that we believe that the ultimate meaning and goodness and rewards of life come through putting all our faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we believe. That's what our whole life's about. But the truth is, is that when you, when I do that, and the world sees us doing that, they think what? That's foolish. That's really foolish. And the reason why they think that's foolish is because they have a different worldview. You see, they think and they see that true and ultimate meaning, they see that goodness, true goodness, and, and, and the great rewards of life come not in putting our faith, putting one's faith in, in, in the cross of Jesus Christ, but, but those things come through things like scientific endeavor. Through space exploration, as we get out there and we find and learn more and more. By tapping into the human potential or maximizing the human potential to see all that is within us that can be attained to. By the advances of medicine, by psychology and philosophy and financial security and family and so much more. They see that the ultimate meaning and goodness and rewards of life come through those things. Not through that foolishness, the foolishness of the cross. But the thing that I want us to remember right here at this point in the lesson. Now listen, just because these good and what I'll call great and in in their right, wise minds of science and astronomy and psychology and medicine and sociology... Just because those wise and good minds who help us and give us the ability to understand the the natural and physical things that uh, are going on, not in just this world, but out in the cosmos and even within our own bodies and within our own, own lives, just because they who are so, so incredibly intelligent and wise, just because they see you as a fool doesn't mean that you are. I know why they see us that way, but it doesn't mean that we are. And and here's what I see sometimes, is I see sometimes we're moving forward by, by the faith and, and, and the, the foolishness of the cross, and they sort of stand up and they go, that's, that's silly. And, and what happens sometimes is I see us as crosswalk people sort of retreating a little bit, sort of falling back, and, and essentially feeling like maybe we are kind of goofy. Hooten, don't say a word. I, I know what you're thinking. Well, you are goofy, Petty John. I, know, I could see it. 
all over his face. But this morning, I want to take us back to Scripture. And I want us to look in 1 Corinthians. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is not, that text is not un, unfamiliar to you. And we're, uh, I'm going to be speaking out of verses 18 through 25. And this is really rich theologically. It's, it's, it's rich salvifically. It's, it's rich spiritually. But I want to bring out a central truth. And, and I've taken part of that passage and I've, and I've merged them together in these two verses. From that text, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And like I said, there's a lot to talk about there. But as I look at that and I say, okay, what's being said here? Let me boil that down. Here's the nugget that I boil that down into. And that's this. That the foolishness of the cross of Jesus is better than the wisdom of the day that denies its value. The foolishness of the cross of Jesus is better, better than the wisdom of the day that denies what incredible value for humans are rooted in the cross of Jesus. And based on that, I'm saying that we as disciples, crosswalk disciples, And I'm thinking about that, and I'm seeing what Paul is writing, and I'm seeing all the biblical text. As I see all that, the conclusion that I come to is that we better be holding on to foolishness. We better be holding on to foolishness. Because it's through the perceived foolishness of God that the greatest blessings known to us on this earth in eternity will come. And so this morning, I, I want to talk to, uh, to us about some of the foolishness that it revolves around the cross that we need to be holding on to. And the first thing I, I'd say is that, that we need to hold on to the cross because it was God's plan to restore what I'm calling harmony. We know what what happened when sin came in. It created this great discord between God and man, between God and his creation. It ripped everything apart. We know that. We've heard, heard that all of our spiritual lives. We know that. But the reality of that is that God found and saw and prepared and purposed a plan in order to heal that rift, in order to bring those parties that were so far apart back together in peace. And that plan was the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to keep believing that that was God's plan from the beginning. We need to keep believing what the Spirit says which is Jesus was nailed to the cross 
according to God's predetermined plan and his foreknowledge. It wasn't just a happenstance. It wasn't just plan B. It was God's predetermined plan that he would save the world through the cross of Jesus Christ. And then, in so doing, reconcile, Paul says to the Colossians, that was Peter talking to the people on the day of Pentecost, but Paul goes on to uh, 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 highlight this even more by saying, in doing that, he reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of Jesus' cross. Hold on. We've got to keep holding on to that foolishness that the world would say was foolish. And even though it doesn't seem to make any sense, and and Bill brought this up in, in preaching team, how does it make sense that you bring about perfect peace in the world through such an incredibly violent act? That doesn't make any sense that you create peace through the violence of the cross. But there again is the foolishness of God. For it was in that, it was in that cross that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. It was that cross, putting him on the cross, that helped us to be redeemed from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And then Jesus ultimately took us from that grip of spiritual death, and Paul says to the Colossians again, made us alive. When we were dead in our trespasses and, uh, and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he made us alive together with us, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us, which was, listen, hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And there comes harmony. And there comes peace by what they would say is foolishness. Hang on to the foolishness of the cross. And there's something else here. I'm saying this morning, hold on to the foolishness of the cross because it is our icon of selflessness. It's our icon that is constantly calling us to selflessness. And, and, and I bring this up because it's, it's worrisome to me. It's worrisome to see how this world continues to influence us as crosswalk disciples or as Christians. I'm worried about how this world's selfishness continues to seep into our lives. That as we walk through this life, their concept of selfishness is not always something that we push back again, but it's oftentimes something that starts taking root and finding a place in our lives. 
And, and I have this term, and, and it's kind of goofy again, but it really speaks to me. The spirit that I see out there in the world is what I call the me, my, mind spirit. The me, my, mind spirit. And when you turn on and listen to or plug into the news today, you're going to hear that me, my, mind spirit over and over again, that spirit of selfishness. When you, when you do any type of media, whether it's movies or whatever, you're going to see me, my, mind over and over again. When you turn in and tune in to social media, you're going to hear me, my, mind. You're going to hear that, so, that, that selfishness over and over and over again. When you're out there in the workplace, you're going to hear me, my mind, me, my mind. When you're in interpersonal relationships, you're going to see the selfishness of me, my mind showing up over and over and over again. I'm seeing it happening in marriages. I'm seeing it happening in homes. And what it's all about is everyone is trying to be drawn to me. This is about me. It's a spirit that says, me first, my way, and mine not yours. Does that sound familiar at all? Yeah. It's all around us. And when that's out there, the me, my, mind spirit sees altruism. It sees meekness. It sees humility, and it sees self-sacrifice as being for the weak. People who would give themselves to, to altruism and, and, and meekness and humility and self-sacrifice, well, those people, they're just weak. And here's the scary part. As that grows, then the red-letter words of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, words like, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, consider others more important than yourselves, those red-letter words of Jesus, those words of the Holy Spirit become nothing but foolishness to that me, my, mind mindset in our world. That's heartbreaking for me as a follower of Jesus. But I have to prepare myself and I have to guard against falling into that very, that very trap. Even though the world sees that is foolishness for us to follow the Christ and to really rather be centered in selfishness. As that's out there, I just want to call us to remember that it's the cross of Jesus Christ that demands something different from us. It's the cross of Jesus that calls to us and it says, listen, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Did you hear that? Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, listen, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that look like? What is that attitude, and how do you qualify it? who, although he existed in the form of God, here it comes, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of the man. He humbled himself. In all of that, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You, you, you see... As crosswalk followers of Jesus, we cannot, we cannot hold on to me, my, and mine pride. Pride that would keep us from putting others first. We cannot hold on to me, my, mine power that would hurt others in order to get our way. We cannot hold on to me, my, mind rightness or our rights because they're too precious to us to sacrifice for the good of others. We can't hold on to me, my, mind indignation, whether we call it righteous indignation or otherwise. Any indignation that results in maliciousness and meanness, we cannot hold on to those things. The only thing that we as crosswalk people can hold on to is the cross. For it's only the cross that urges us day after day after day to be selfless. Calls us every day to a life of selflessness. The last thing here this morning, as I, as I thought about this, that came to my mind, was we need to hold on to the foolishness of the cross. Because it shows us how to respond to great trials. As the lions were unleashed upon the Christians in the day of Rome in the Colosseum. As, as Christians were put to death for sport by the Romans. Again, I wasn't there. I, I don't know of any records, but I know that the spectators were sitting there watching those Christians die and looking at them and saying, what? Why don't they just renounce their faith in God? Can't they see that God doesn't care anything about them? What fools? Why not just renounce that faith? Well, here's the answer. They didn't renounce their faith. Because they believed that unfailing faith brought ultimate victory. Even in the midst of those trials, even as they were confronting life and death situations, when all the world would say, you're 
foolish to hold on to your faith. They held on to that faith because they knew through faith and the endurance of the faith they were going to gain the victory. And they held on to it. Even though the foolishness of trials perceived by others would say give up on your faith, these Christians held to their faith because they held to the Spirit's word that was calling them and saying to them, let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's foolishness, for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Spirit called to those people and said, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you, today, in your trial, in your crosses, do not grow weary. And lose heart. You see the resurrected Jesus. The enthroned Jesus is what they were looking at. They weren't looking and fixing their eyes on Jesus on the cross. They were fixing their eyes in the resurrected enthroned Jesus. Who had proved to them that faith is the victory. That faith is the victory. They learned. By looking at Jesus, that crosses don't write our stories. Trials and tribulations in life don't write our stories. God is the one who writes our stories. Yes, those things may be part of our stories, but at the end, the conclusion of our story, it's God who writes those stories. Even though we're not being thrown to the lions today, even though that's not still happening to us, even though we're not being killed for sport, we still face our own trials. We still face and endure chronic illness, tragedy, economic crashes, the loss of people we live, love, so many things. And all those things, you know what they're doing? They're saying, give up. They're urging us to give up on our faith in Jesus. They're saying to us, stop being so foolish. Just give up your faith in God. But remember, it's in those moments when you hear that voice that says give up. That we must be looking at the resurrected, victorious Jesus who says to us over and over again, as he rises above the cross, he says, don't grow weary. Do not lose heart. Keep your faithfulness like I did and like me. You will win. You will win. And if you endure to the very end, Revelation 2 and verse 10, you will receive the crown 
of life. The encouragement for the day. In fact, really, the encouragement of our whole Crosswalk series can be summed up in this one statement. Be foolish. I know, you never thought you'd hear me say that from this pulpit, but what this lesson and what the whole series has been saying to us each week is to be foolish. Give up fear for faith. Give up worldly greatness for spiritual greatness. Be foolish. Give up tomorrow for today. Give up self-righteousness for Christ's righteousness. Give up rancor for peace. Be foolish. Give up casual giving for purposeful giving. Give up rightness for repentance. And like we're saying this morning, give up the wisdom of the world for the foolishness of God. And when we do that, we will then be well on our journey to live as crosswalk disciples of Jesus Christ. This morning, I know that many of us have chosen to live in that foolishness. Praise God for that. But maybe this morning you're here and you've yet to do the most foolish thing of all. Place your faith in Jesus and His cross. Confess Him as your Lord. Repent of thinking about yourself and how this world thinks and and follow Jesus and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and start walking not in the wisdom of this world but in the foolishness of God to your victory while we stand and while we sing.